Harvey Norman Wonthaggy, your local store for computers and electrical. Free click and collect available now. Live on SEN Track, Latrobe Valley 91.9 FM. And SEN Track, Southwest Gippsland 91.3 FM. Welcome to Saturdays in Gippsland. Yeah, big welcome to Wonthaggy. Now, normally we would be saying we're right outside Harvey Norman in Wonthaggy, and uh, given that they're expecting a little bit of a busier morning than usual, well, they needed some extra space. So what do we do? We go to uh, Sam Watson's old stomping ground. <laughs> i tell you what, there's a, little, a few notches on the belt here, I reckon. <laughs> South Gippsland Sentinel Times in McBride Street, Wonthaggy's where we are right now. Now, this is... This is what you cut your teeth into the media before you yeah, started to it is. take a turn into radio. This is uh, where I first started sending match reports for the Kilcunda Bass Senior Games when I was about 15 years old. There's your mate getting into his car here. I mean, it's all happening in one thing. Yeah, it? I, we'll probably <laughs> see quite a few people that end up walking past that I know, but um, I'll, I'll try to avoid them and... Avoid talking to them on air. <laughs> Best you can. Yeah. Hey, really excited about today's show. We're going to catch up with Lee Brown shortly because Lee's obviously one of the more high-profile players from Gippsland. And yep. just reading through his record, it sort of just uh, it skips past what I thought I knew about him. Over 200 mm-hmm. AFL games with Fremantle, Kangaroos and Collingwood. It's a long career. It's a long career, it really is. Over, over 50 games with three clubs is... It, you wouldn't see too many that have done that. It's extraordinary too because after playing, say, uh, as you say, over 50 games with Fremantle, did they get it wrong for him to then go to North Melbourne and play over 100? Mm. And then did the Kangaroos get it wrong for him to play over 50 with Collingwood and as part of a grand final side? It's a, it, it, it's a it's a game of chess sometimes trading in the AFL. and It is. A lot of clubs will be thinking about that right now before the season starts. We're only six weeks away from the start of the 2022 season. I know, I'm getting excited. I, I'm I'm half excited as yeah, well, I've got to tell you. Starting uh, on the uh, SEN 11-16 throughout the week, it's starting to ramp up a bit. Yeah. Uh, fair few more calls on footy topics. and Practice games starting yeah, soon too. Yeah, so aren't far off. Shocking, lot, shocking news about Ben King. Oh, I can't believe it. Mm. I, I can't believe it. You know, you, you, you put in all that hard work through the pre-season, you're so close to the start of the year, you can taste it, and then you're on the sidelines for a long, long time again. Yeah, poor bugger. Yeah, it might be. Might might he have played his last game for the Gold Coast? Yeah, well, he might may have. He may, he have. may have. Hey, um, Tom Hutton. If I said Tom Hutton to ninety nine point nine nine percent of the people in Gippsland, do you think they would know who he is? A uh, few footy fans, pretty rusted on local footy fans, might know the name. Yeah, but not the average sports fan in Gippsland. In fact. Uh, he has probably achieved 99.99% more than most. Yeah. The, the, but the, surprisingly enough, it's not in football. No, no, in American football. Yeah. The folk in uh, Oklahoma would know him pretty well, or know him better than people in Gippsland. So working at the APM, playing locally for teams like Morwell and Yulorn, Yulorn North, who are a terrific side. Yep. Uh, I followed this story a little while ago, and I'm, I'm so glad you got him on this morning. I, I'm really looking forward to the chat because, as you say, you know, uh, 48 hours out from the start of the Super Bowl 56, I'd be interested to get his thoughts on just what interest he had in NFL prior to him being picked up by Oklahoma. Uh, of course, we're going to catch up with uh, Matilda Reynolds and Reynolds. Uh, Reynolds, I should say, who's part of the Mitchelton Tour here in. Uh, in the Gippsland yeah, area, yeah, Gippsland, yeah. yeah. Oh, look, and that's—I'm not sure. All these site, all these 
cycling tours take a little bit of time to grip on, but once they grip on, once people give them a chance, uh, it's amazing the sort of support they get. And I know it from experience in South Australia. Catch up with Bo Vernon. Now, Bo's always, I like Bo's take on most things. Do you know what I mean? I, he's got a really mature approach. Uh, he's, a, he's a people person. There's no question about that. And I, I'd love to get his thoughts on the Justin Langer situation. Uh, now that it's now that it's sort of unfolded, and yep. we've we've not only heard from supporters of Justin Langer, but importantly we've heard from Pat Cummins as well, just what Bo thinks of that. And Simon Goodwin, there was an interesting chat throughout the yeah that week, was. wasn't it? That was uh, a topic of fierce debate. That was. What, what, what do you think? Um, I think it might be a bit of a storm in a teacup, but yeah. I don't, but how can you comment on it when you don't know the full story? No, exactly right, and and. Uh, I don't know. I just, I always worry about things that bob their head up two or three years down the track, and it mm-hmm. in, it, it involves a disgruntled former employee, and okay, he's having a drink and a bet. Now, when is a drink and a bet too much? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I forget who. I forget who. It might have been Malcolm Blight who said it on eleven sixteen. Was it just a pot at the pub and a dollar bet on a keno where like? What, what kind of level are we talking about here? Yeah, you know, I've worked in the hospitality industry for a long time and playing gaming machines has this connotation that you may have a gambling problem. You know, you, you walk in there and you'll bet, put in five $1 coins and you've got a pokey problem. Mm-hmm. But yet I can pick up my phone right now and do a 1000 each way on a horse and no one's any the wiser. Uh, I've just gone down here at one thirty and put on my cross lorry for tonight, like 10 million people have around the country. Now, those sorts of things are accepted, but whereas when a high-profile person is seen having a bet with mates and a pot of beer, oh, geez, what's he, should he be doing that? He's the coach. And I remember, and I remember Gary Ayres telling me once, after Adelaide, um, after Adelaide were beaten comfortably at Football Park at the time mm-hmm. in South Australia, he was seen out of the restaurant, and a bloke rang up a radio station and said, you know what, I went out for a bite to eat after the Crows lost, and guess what? I saw Gary Ayres in a restaurant, and he was laughing with the people he was with. And Gary Ayres made the point, well, mate, I, I, I don't know what people expect me to do. After a loss, am I supposed to go home, you know, rock back and forwards? Mm. I've got a life to live. I was with friends over from Victoria. The game has been played and lost, yes. Was I happy? No. But was I happy with the people I was with? Yes. And he felt compelled to explain himself, but People don't understand that they they've got lives outside of that. Yeah, you're spot on. It's you can't. Everybody's human. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, well, and after like it's a stressful environment, football clubs, and yeah. everybody deserves a chance to blow off a bit of steam. And uh, yeah, it's, it's and we do it in different ways. Yeah, and we do it in different ways. And you can mount a case for and against, sure. But you know, uh, Goody's a people person, and I reckon he enjoys spending social time with his players. It, it uh, paid off. Oh well, look, the proof is in the pudding, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And, if uh, at the end of the if, if at the end of every year, he's having a pot and a punt, yeah. and bringing home a premiership, the three Ps, would the Demons fans be complaining? Mm. And and is it a bit rich for Gillan McLaughlin to? Uh, I, I can see where, where he's coming from, saying you can't have a coach and uh, can't have a coach punting and drinking with players. But why? That, but, Who yeah, says but, that? I know, but 
the AFL are pretty happy to take millions of dollars from gambling, <laughs> from betting companies and, you know. uh, and, and Carlton Draft and so. Moderation is the key, boys and girls. Moderation is the key, yep. whatever you're doing, whoever you're with. Hey, Brett Williams. Now, every week we've been focusing in on a sporting club that has been very successful over a long period of time. Halora Cricket Club, he is the president of, Brett Williams, and he's also their best batter, funnily enough. Is he really? That's uh, how cricket clubs work in Gippsland. It's when, uh, when you're involved with the club, you're probably president, secretary, best batsman, yes. opening bowler. <laughs> um, so, so we're going to speak to him about Halora Cricket Club, how they've been so successful in recent times. And also there's a quirky little thing at Halora Cricket Club. They, they're a bit of a footy factory. Okay, which we'll which we'll get into later on, but that's uh, that's one to listen out for. You know, it's funny you talk to a uh, an AFL football a player playing AFL football, and they say, "Okay, what do you do?" Well, you know, I'm a midfielder. I play I play forward. I, I have some time in the ball, and and if needed, I can play in defence. Mm-hmm. You talk to an AFL footballer at a local country club. Well, I play in the guts. I mark the ground on a Saturday morning. I I mow the car park yep. every third Wednesday, and I help out on the committee as well, organising events. It's completely different, mate. That's it's completely it different. It That's really is. That's why we love it. That's why we love it. Hey, it's Saturdays in Gippsland with Sam Watson, Rob Popplestone, Poppy and Watto talking sport as we do a swatter on SEN Track 91.3, Southwest Gippsland on 91.9. We'll be back talking with the big man of AFL, Lee Brown, after this short break. Maxwell bends out back and runs away and then kicks to half forward. Didak in a one-on-one, and then Lee Brown bursting forward, and then with a ball burst at a full forward, it's bounced a long way! Oh, he's a magician! That's not the Lee Brown we used to know, is it? Oh, wow, what a snippet, hey? Now, we could play around about two and a half hours of those sorts of highlights of this particular bloke, but we decided just on 30 seconds of uh, one of the most exciting times in football as we introduce our first guest for this morning on Saturdays in Gippsland in Lee Brown. Hey, Brownie, how are you going? Good morning, guys. I'm not sure there's two and a half hours worth. Uh, <laughs> there might be two and a half minutes worth, but uh, no, it's certainly a highlight that gets brought up a lot, that one. And um, yeah, I think at, at that point of the game, Darren Milburn said to me, I think it might be your night tonight. Uh, that's, uh, I was, I'm a Collingwood fan, Rob, as you know, and yep. cutting up that audio last night, I couldn't wipe the, uh, the smile off my face, and Lee's exactly right. When that one bounced through in the 2010 prelim, I knew it was our night. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how you can go back over a decade now, and there's a particular snippet of audio that, that can still give you... Goosebumps, it did. you know, and, and that's to do with the play and that's to do with the call, but it's fantastic. In fact, your Brownie, your name got brought up on the weekend. I was out having a couple of drinks for my wife's birthday, caught up with Rick Galea, and Rick's a big fan of yours, and, you know, I'm not sure that that's a good thing or a bad thing for you, <laughs> but he's a terrific bloke and he's got the utmost respect for you, and uh, he, he made the point uh, that your career's been un- unbelievably, and, and it snuck up on me too when I read read your facts and figures this morning, but you'd reflect back now and be pretty satisfied with everything you did. Yeah, yeah, I am satisfied. I you know, gave everything I had. And, um, you know, in, in the end, I probably played my best footy in the last two or three years at Collingwood. And, and I put that down to probably being a bit more settled in, um, in my position and my role and a greater understanding of, of what I was um, expected to do out on the field. But, you know, to, to play for, for 12 years and, and nearly get 250 games and, you know, I, I got traded, I got delisted, um, I retired on my own terms in the end and um, yeah, I think I've, I've gone through every every range of emotion 
with uh, with a footy club in terms of being at that top level. And, and touch wood, I, I got through with, with limited injuries and those sorts of things as well. So, um, you know, to finish with the pies and, you know, it would have been nice to, to go out back-to-back premiers, but th- that wasn't the case and it was a nice way to finish anyway. Just going back a few years before that grand final win with the pies, Lee, you grew up in Hayfield, I believe, and obviously played for Gippsland Power. Did you, did you have contact with Frio before the 1999 draft and how daunting was it to have to quickly pack up and, and jet off to the other side of the country as an 18-year-old? Well, I was 17, so that, that made it a little bit, uh, a, yeah, a little bit younger. So, um, yeah, yeah I just, I was, I just done my um, year 12 English exam on a Friday, and this is when you know the the draft was in the middle of um, year 12 exam. So, I, I got through that, had the draft on the on the Sunday, and you know finished the rest of my exams and, and flew out. So, um, I had had contact with Fremantle. I, I was pretty confident I was going to go in that top 10 uh, from the conversations that I'd had. I always knew that if I wanted to play AFL footy, I was going to have to move away from home anyway. So whether that was Melbourne, you know, Adelaide, Brisbane, Sydney or Perth, it, it didn't really matter. So I um, ended up going to Fremantle, which was fantastic. And I you know, had a really young group and you know, we, we didn't have a lot of success early, but I'd say we, we started to set up a, a culture um, that's you know, held them in good stead um, over the years. And you know, guys like Matty Pavlich and Dave Mundy and those sorts of guys have, have really grabbed that and and taking it forward. But yeah, I'd like to think that, you know, from those early days, some of us younger guys helped turn that around. Yeah, no question. It's, it's interesting you say as a 17-year-old you were ready and willing and able to, to, to travel to the other side of the country. I think probably 10 or 20 years before that, players were very apprehensive about making a move outside of their state. But I guess as we become a more accustomed to what to expect, players are, are more comfortable. And your example is a good, good one of that, Lee. Yeah, it is, and you know, you, you come from a, a country town, and um, you know, going to Fremantle was probably nearly the best option because you're not going to Melbourne, the big smoke where it's hustle and bustle, and you know, there's ten teams and all those sorts of things, and you know, it's very busy. Fremantle is very much similar to Geelong; it's a it's a big country town, and you know, to be able to settle in, you know, I live with a host family for a couple of years, and, and they were fantastic to me, and um, you know, it was the transition was quite easy. Um, it's interesting, you sit back now and you know you hear some of the stories of the, the players coming through and they don't want to go interstate and all those sorts of things. Well, that's the decision that you, you make by entering, you know, putting your name in the draft and, and yeah. putting yourself in, in, in that um, in that element. So um, it, it was an easy decision for me. I wanted to play AFL footy. You know, I didn't didn't mind where I went to do it and you know, Fremantle was my first opportunity. And just sticking with Freo before we get onto what what else you achieved, Lee, what, you were named best clubman at the Dockers in 2001, so clearly you were having an impact on the group over there. What what were the reasons behind your departure, mate? Uh, I, I just got traded. So I was actually away on a holiday and um, I got a call. My, my manager at the time was Ricky Nixon, so uh, from Flying Start. So I had a call from... From Ricky, I think it might have been, let's say it was a Friday, and they said, um, you know, your, your name's been tossed around, but you, you know, you're not going to get traded at this point. Um, I, I just, I was one year into a, a new three-year deal, so um, I'd bought a house and all those sorts of things, so I was settled, and I didn't want to go anywhere, but uh, by the Monday, he called and said, the deal's done, uh, you just need to agree to it. So, um, yeah, Chris Conley came in, and you know, his first year was, was my last year, and you know, he had a, a direction that he wanted to go in, and um, he saw some players that he wanted to get back and they obviously got pick 13 and, and Byron Shammer who played some really good footy for Freo as well so 
Um, yeah, that's how I ended up at North Melbourne. It wasn't my three choice. It was through the club, um, thinking that was best. And um, after talking to uh, the North Melbourne guys and, and the Fremantle guys, it was clear that I was probably going to get more opportunity at North Melbourne. So in the end, the, the decision to say yes was, was a pretty simple one. Well, you got back into the Hayfield colours. I guess that's one plus. But you, you got there, and they've, they've always been a club that have been respected for their fight, their grit, their determination. Even if they've sort of just uh, struggled to be around about you know midway most times, how did you find your time there, and what did you learn from your time there? Uh, I, I learned about um, how a group can be really strong and, and what it can achieve by sticking together, and whether that's backs against the wall, whether that's a lack of facilities at the time, um, yeah. you know, a lack of resources. So um, I saw guys like Glenn Archer and Anthony Stevens and, and Adam Simpson. Um, you know, Lee Colbert was outstanding. Sav Rocker, Brady Rawlings, these sorts of guys wow. who, you know, pick, picked up the club and said, "Jump on our backs. Doesn't matter what's going on. You know, we're gonna gonna work hard during the week. Um, you know, we enjoyed each other's company off the field. You know, by lunches and dinners and." You know, having a beer from time to time when the time was right and those sorts of things. So uh, I think it was the close near to that group. You know, we'd go on footy trips and we'd have 40-plus people, you know, going away at the end of the year mm. together. So I think that sums up the, the tightness of the group. And, and when you were delisted by the Roos at the 2008 season, did, did you think your AFL career was over or, or were you confident you'd get a chance somewhere else? I wasn't confident, to be honest. Um, I, I hoped... Um, I played the most VFL footy I played that year. Um, I played a fair bit at Werribee and you know, probably found a, a bit of a spark again in, in my footy. I was probably a little bit flat you know, leading into that um, 2008 season. And um, once again, I was on a holiday, so you'd think I'd stop going on holiday <laughs> at the end of the season. But um, yeah, I got the call and they said, you can stay away a little bit longer if you want. You, you know, no reason to come back. We're not going to read your contract. So... Um, yeah, the relationship I had with Jeff Walsh, who was at um, North Melbourne in my early time there, um, he, he'd obviously gone across to Collingwood. Um, I'd, and looking back on it now and having some conversations with you know, some of the Collingwood coaches after the fact, there was a game out at Werribee where I played pretty well, to be honest. I kicked five <laughs> and um, you know, I played on a couple of players that the Collingwood guys, Jack Anthony and... Uh, they're looking really closely at Chris Pendlebury at, at that stage too. So I, I managed to kick some goals on them and they're looking at them closely and that allowed them to be looking at me, ironically. And you know, I walked into Collingwood on you know, that, that first to that first meeting and Mick was in a room and they put me in front of a board and said, here's our age profile, here's our um, games profile and height profile and what do you see? And I said, there's a gap exactly where I would fit. And hmm. said, you've got two weeks to, to train. Um, and go from there and we'll make a decision. And ironically, they flew out to Arizona two days later and I stayed back with the rehab group and, <laughs> and trained my backside off. And, and to this day, I, I think, you know, take games and training all into account. I had my best 20 minutes ever in that last training session at Collingwood. And, and not many people can say they did pretty well against Simon Preston Giacomo. And I had a 20-minute period where everything just went right. And I, I think, you know, looking back, uh, that 20 minutes might have just got me across the line. You know, it's interesting. I heard David King during the week talk about uh, Sam Walsh, uh, and he made the point that he went to watch him at training, and he's training like his life depends on it. We're six weeks out from the season, and I, I reckon it's those things that possibly go unnoticed. You know, we all see players play on a Saturday afternoon, 
and we rate them on what they do then. But the real hard work is done at other times. And like you said, that game in Werribee, where you could have been forgiven for, you know, maybe not feeling as though it was as important as it should be, but it turned out to be a turning point. And I reckon it's a lesson for all young players to feel as though you're being watched at all times because you never know what moment might determine your future. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, as I've said to a lot of young kids coming through, you know, after my career as a coach, that, you know, what are you doing when nobody's watching? That, that's the 100%. most important time. Um, how hard are you working? Are you cutting the corner or what are you doing? But, you know, I was fortunate enough to have, spend some time with that guy like Sam Walsh and, you know, he's just an outstanding individual on and off the track and he works his backside off and, you know, him and uh, Ned McHenry from, from Adelaide, they're two of the hardest trainers you've ever seen. And how do you look back on, on the group at Collingwood that we were just speaking about and, and the grand final win, with it, it being a stranger one with the draw the week before, Brownie? Yeah, it was strange. Um, I, I look back and think it was a group that matured, you know, over probably about 18 months leading into that grand final. Um, it was a group that had really good balance, I felt. Um, you know, there was... Obviously, the Rat Pack that enjoyed themselves off the field and had a reputation, but you know, you talk about training hard. They would battle themselves in the training and you know get the absolute best out of themselves. And you know, it was a credit to them. And you know, there was guys that you know did like Park and Lockyer. He'd be at the club at seven o'clock in the morning and he wouldn't leave till six o'clock at night. So there was a really good balance. So you could, you know, whichever way you were feeling that day or whatever you wanted to do, there was a something there for everybody and I felt it was really inclusive um, and they trained hard and you know the, di- the difference between a North Melbourne and a, and a Collingwood was you, you walk in and it, it's like going from you know the, the Morwell Hotel to um, you know the, the Taj Mahal like it, it, was, it was unbelievable what we walked into like altitude rooms massive gym you know all the staff and, and players are all under one roof so it was a, a real club feel and um yeah, that expectation was there because of, you know, what it's good for. And you made the decision to retire at the, at the end of 2011. Do you, th- do you look back and think that the time was right or was there another year left there maybe? Uh, no, I look back and say absolutely the time was right. Um, it was good to go out of my terms. Um, you know, I probably hoped a little bit that the fairy tale would be there that we could go back to back and, you know... Mark Stevens, Dave Wojcicki and Lee Brown all from Hayfield can have two premierships each but um, <laughs> that wasn't the case and Wojo's got three and you now I've got one but um, no, it was, the time was right, my body was you know, there was a few little signs that you know, I was getting towards that 30 year old mark and you know, I, I wasn't wanting to, to do the, the one percenters as, as often as I should do and um, in the end I thought if I, I went through another year of you know not doing that ice bath or not doing that recovery session properly or you know, not doing everything to the absolute nth degree, then, then I would drop away individually. And, um, yeah, I, I thought it was time to leave. And, yeah, there's some opportunities, you know, for that next phase of, of my life in coaching that we're presenting. And I just felt it was a good time and I, I don't have any regrets at all. You know, you mentioned uh, when you spoke to Collingwood, they, 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 they put on a whiteboard about an age profile, a height profile, and, 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 and you're, you're able to fill a little gap. Uh, there are so many connotations required to complete a successful football team, and then you take a role at coaching and try to implement that into a side what you've learned. How did you find that, that transition from playing to coaching? Because not everyone 
not everyone sort of gets it first off. It sometimes takes a little bit of failure to, to get some success as a coach. Yeah, it does. And, and I was fortunate enough to um, spend some time at Calder Cannons while I was playing. Um, and, and, you know, as a development coach, as my schedule allowed it, and, you know, as, as much of a pain as it was to drive up to Craigieburn once or twice a week, um, you know, in winter and all those sorts of things, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, they yeah. were great to me and gave me the first opportunity of that. Um, a guy called Anton Grabak, who, who's done a lot for um, Vic Metro over the years, he gave me an opportunity to coach the, the Vic Metro under-17 side. They, I think they had four training sessions and um, one or two games at, at that point. And, you know, there was times where I couldn't get to the pre-match because, um, you know, of, of my commitment to Collingwood. But he said, just get here when you get here. So he gave me that opportunity as well. So... Um, and then I'd spent a fair bit of time with Mark Neild, obviously, and um, David Whedon was, was great with a, a next coach program, which a, a lot of the guys have been through now. So I felt I was ready. So jumping into that assistant coach was a, a big step. But um, I'd seen what Neil did, did at, at Collingwood, and you know, obviously he went on to Melbourne, and you know, it wasn't a great success, but we learned a hell of a lot, and um, that allowed me to become my own head coach when I came back to Gippsland. Now, Lee, we've got plenty of more questions to ask you about your, your time coaching at Gippy Power and, and what you're up to now, but we're, we've run out of time, sorry. But just quickly before you let you go, how do you think the Pies will perform this year and how do you think they'll track under Craig This, is, this is a personal question, of course, from a yeah, co- mad Collingwood yeah, supporter. Yeah, we've, we've probably dropped off air. But, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm looking probably... through the running sheet and there's nothing there about this question at all. <laughs> No, I think they'll be okay. Craig McRae is a fantastic operator. Um, he's very good with building relationships. His development stuff's really good. Um, you know, if they can keep their good players on the park, and by all reports, you know, to go, he's come back after all his um, issues over the off-season. Fit and firing. Brody Grundy's having his best pre-season. Um, Pendles will be Pendles, there's no doubt about that. So, yeah, I think they're going to be around the mark. I think, you know, they can be knocking on the eight, but building over the next couple of years. But I think Craig McRae is a fantastic appointment. Fantastic. We look forward to uh, seeing what comes of the Magpies, no question, and look forward to following your career as well, and maybe a pass will cross again during the course of this year, Brandy. Uh, appreciate your time. No, good on you, boys. Have a good morning, and uh, happy to chat anytime. Good on you, Lee. Lee Brown there, uh, one of the champs from the AFL, and as I say, over 200 AFL games, a Gippsley boy born and bred and always happy to give time. Hey, you're listening to Saturdays in Gippsland. Normally you'll find us outside Harvey Norman Wonthaggy. You won't find us, but they're still there and they're happy to welcome you into their store, the boys at Harvey Norman. Right now we're outside the Sentinel Times in Wonthaggy talking sport. We're going to do a lot more of it after this break. I think he's doing well, you know, but he's married, his wife's here. So uh, she said that uh, bed check was kind of weird the other day. Um, and I uh, said we... They, probably don't need to bed check Tom anymore. He's 29. He's worked five years at a paper mill, 10 hours a day. So he's I'm somewhat understands going to bed at night, but uh, he's doing really well. Very unique person. Um, a lot of fun to be around. I think he's glad that he's here. Welcome back to Saturdays in Gippsland. Well, that's coach of Oklahoma State talking about doing a bed check on our next guest in Tom Hutt. Now, I caught up with Barry Burnett uh, not long back and he disagrees. He thinks we should still be doing bed checks on Tom Hutton as he joins us right now. Hey, Tom, how are you going? How are you? Yeah, going really well, mate, really well. Hey, thanks for your time. 
uh, this morning. I think it's afternoon uh, where you are as we speak. Uh, it's a, a big weekend of NFL over the here. And I thought it appropriate that we touch base. It's It's been an interesting few years for you, mate. Just take us through the journey again. I'm not sure that you get bored of telling the same story, but we certainly don't get bored of hearing about it. No, that's all good. Um, yeah, obviously I played football back in Gippsland all my life. Played for Yulon North growing up and then went to Morwell for two years, the two good years in 2013, 2014. Won a couple of flags there. And then went back to Yulon North for a couple of years. And then um, I just I just wanted to, a challenge and was looking around for something and managed to find uh, college football. And um, a few guys around Gippsland area had... Um, had got scholarships over here so I thought I'd go down to Melbourne to Pro Kick Australia and try out and then within a few weeks I'd had a scholarship over here and then 12 months later I moved over here and been here for three years now played uh, three seasons at Oklahoma State um, as a punter obviously and yeah I'm loving it. It is just absolutely fascinating how your life can turn on a bit and take you in a direction that probably you never ever dreamed of planned for but all of a sudden you find yourself in the thick of it take us through the time from you know arriving at Oklahoma State what's involved the the size of the the size of the school the people that come to the ground your your teammates some of the similarities and differences of of playing in a team yeah it's it's completely different to footy um, especially in my position Um, I so for people that don't know, when our offense gets stopped, I'm the one that goes out there and pretty much kicks the ball back to the opposition and tries to pin them down the other end of the field. So they've got to go the whole the whole way back to the, to score. Um, so I only come on the field probably an average of five or six times a game. Um, so there's a lot of pressure to perform. You get six kicks, so you mess them up. Like it's a pretty big deal. Um, but yeah, when it even the locker room, you know, it's a, there's 135 people on the team. Um, <laughs> we travel about 75 people. So, um, but then there's probably only 50 people that actually get to play. On a there's 11 people on the field. There's an offensive team, a defensive team, and then there's special teams. So, I'd say there's probably 50 people that play. Um, but um, yeah, it's that's a crazy experience. There's a there's a lot different to playing. Gippy League or Mid Gippy with, I think we have sixty thousand people in our stadium and that's mm. full every game. Uh, played at fields like uh, Texas and they have a hundred thousand. That's been full both times I've played there, so it's it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, going back to playing playing in front of uh, back before you were playing in front of sixty thousand people regularly, Tom, you were. You're a left footer, and were you always a long kick of the footy when you were playing back in Gippsland? Uh, yeah, that sort of started with my my older brother. He's seven years older than me. He played at Yulon North as well. He actually played with Barry Burnett, who was my coach at uh, Yulon North. But he um, he sort of started the um, the the long kick thing, and then when I came into the seniors, everyone was sort of. I had the pressure to kick as far as my brother did, so <laughs> I don't know if that spurred me on, but I seem to always have a pretty long kick, and um, yeah, it's, it's done well for me. I saw one of the highlights where they described your kick as an end-over-end kick, which is obviously our punt kick. Is that something unusual for a kicker in NFL to be kicking you know, the traditional punt kick or not? Um, not so much anymore, but it was uh, 
that's probably only the last five or six years that it's become really um, really common that there's so many Aussie punters over here now and they, um, just the accuracy of being able to kick a drop punt out towards the boundary line where the returners have a hard time returning it. Um, obviously, it doesn't go as far as kicking a spiral, but um, just like our coach just loves the fact that it's so consistent. He knows exactly <laughs> what he's going to get when he calls for the punt team to come out. So yeah. I'm not kicking sort of 60-yard bombs, but I'm just pinning it outside the um, outside the numbers on the boundary line and then making it hard for the returners to return my punts. Now, we heard, as you mentioned there, your coach, Mike Gundy, we heard from him uh, at the start of this segment. What He's been there for 17 years, so he must be a bit of a, a legend at Oklahoma State. What's what's your relationship with him like, and, and how do you like playing underneath him? Yeah, he's a, he's a fun guy. He's, a, he's, he's pretty crazy. If you look in the stories of him, he goes rattlesnake hunting, and he's got a <laughs> hobby farm at his house with miniature donkeys and tortoises and all this stuff, but no, he's he's good fun to be around. He's he's a funny guy and he keeps things lighthearted but you know, he knows when to when to turn it on and he can he can get serious pretty quickly but um yeah, as long as as long as you're doing what you're meant to, he's he's good fun to be around. And can you just explain to our listeners how playoffs work in college football? Because it's a pretty complicated process to a to a general sports fan back in back in Gippsland and, and tell us and tell us how you guys went this season as well. Yeah, so it is pretty complicated. I'll try and simp- simplify it. But so college football um, there's uh, there's football FCS which is sort of like a, a almost like a lower division and then FBS which is the football bowl schedule. There's 130 teams in that, in 10 different conferences. Um, and that's, obviously, each conference has their win and loss record, and that's where they're, the top two teams in each conference at the end of the season will play their conference championship. And then there's a committee, a football playoff committee, who are sit and vote on the top 25 teams throughout the year. So week to week, there'll be a new top 25, and that's pretty much a subjective thing. They see what your strength of schedule is, who you've won against, who you've lost against, and the top 25 out of that 130 teams get ranked. And then at the end of the year, um, the top four teams in that top 25 um, play off in so just semifinals and then a final, and that's that's how the college football playoffs work but they're talking about expanding it to the top eight teams will play off um, which I think will be good because it's there's always debate about who should be in the top four at the end of the season yeah. and there's always one or two teams that are stiff to miss out so we and finished you, ninth yeah you guys finished fifth year. Uh, yeah ninth and then we we beat the fifth ranked team and then I think we went up we ended up with a final ranking of seventh so that's one of the best seasons that Oklahoma State's had for a long time. Yeah, and um, I was reading that you lost to uh, Baylor in the Big 12 Championship. So it was a Big 12, uh, for our listeners who might not know, Big 12 is probably one of the strongest championships in, uh, okay. strongest divisions in uh, college football. And they finished on top after the regular season, lost to Baylor in the championship game. So they're going very well, Tommy Stamet. Just before we let you go, Tom. There's been some big names that have come out of Oklahoma State. Thurman Thomas, Barry Sanders, Des Bryant. 
are you a chance to be the, the next biggest name? Are you going to make it to the NFL? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Um, <laughs> I, don't have, I don't really have much desire to go on to the next level, Alan, just because of the. I'm pretty realistic about um, NFL teams. There's so many free agent punters that are just waiting to get their shot. And they, guys that are 27 years old and that had three or four years' experience in the league. Um, so I don't know why an NFL team would draft a rookie punter at 32 years of age, but, I mean, if one's willing to do it, I'm willing to play. Uh, so so what's the future? A- outside of the, the season that's gone, how long do you stay at Oklahoma State? How long can you stay there? And post, uh, you know, th- this particular experience, are you coming back home? Do you stay in US for a while? What are the, what are the options? Yeah, so it's a um, four-year scholarship. Um, so I've this will be my fourth year playing. Um, mm-hmm. So after this, of my eligibility to play is over, so I can't play here anymore. But um, I'll, I'll stay for another six months after the season and graduate, get my degree. I'm doing construction engineering. So um, I was a carpenter back home, so now I've sort of got a construction management side of things, and I'm hoping to move back to uh, Victoria and start working in that field. And, and just before we let you go, Tom, you Obviously, you're going to be tuning in on on uh, oh, Sunday for you, Monday for us. Um, you just missed. I think Trey Flowers is is the only Oklahoma State player in the game. Yep. So you, he was there a year before you arrived. Do you, who do you think will win, and and who are you going to be barracking for on on Sunday? I honestly don't know who I think will win. I think it's going to be a really good game, um, and I'm kind of happy either way. Like the story of Joe Burrow and. Um, Jamar Chase, the two superstars from LSU coming in and making a Super Bowl in their second year versus uh, Matt Stafford who is one of the best quarterbacks in the last 10 years but he's been stuck at a crappy franchise Detroit Lions and he finally gets away from them and makes a Super Bowl in his first year so I'm just kind of, I'm just happy either way for the different stories but just going on the, the momentum and stuff that Joe Burrow's has at the moment. I, I can't bet against him. Nah, nah. It should be exciting times. We're certainly excited over here, which is a bit of a surprise, but slowly the Aussies are catching on, which is a good thing. Hey, Tom, yeah. all the best, mate. All the best for uh, for what the future holds for you in Oklahoma, but also looking forward to, to seeing the name uh, Hutton back in Victoria when you get the opportunity. And of course, your lovely wife or girlfriend. Is it still girlfriend wife, or wife? Wife. No, wife. Yeah, fantastic. Hey, good on you, Tom. Enjoyed your time this morning. Thanks so much. And again, uh, all the best. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the time. No worries at all. Tom Hutton there, uh, Gippsland boy, uh, played your lawn, your lawn north, played for Morwell in a premiership. He won the mid Gippsland um, Senior League Best and Fairest in 2015. Yeah, yeah represented uh, 20, Gippsland. 2013 14 premierships with Morwell. So. Yeah. Yeah, he could. Uh, he certainly knew his way around a footy field. Very good player. Goes there, has uh, seven opportunities, possibly, in the course of a game, which probably, uh, in total, takes about a minute ten. And that's about how much time we've got to take a break before we start talking more sport. And Saturdays in Gippsland on SEN Track 91.3 and 91.9 in Southwest Gippsland. Back in a moment. We are indeed with Rob Popplestone and Sam Watson, Poppy and Swatter, talking sport. Uh, Saturdays in Gippsland, we call it. It's all about those people that play sport that originate from Gippsland. If you've just tuned in, you just missed a really good chat, we think, with Tom Hutton, who played some footy with Yalorn, Yalorn North, played in premierships with Morwell, and out of the blue found himself at Oklahoma State. 
playing in front of crowds of up to 100,000 people, if you don't mind. Regularly. Yeah, regularly. Uh, when he went to Texas and 60,000 at his home field, yep. you would call it, at Oklahoma. Really terrific chat. I was just looking as we discussed with Tom about the Super Bowl that takes place here in Melbourne time on Monday morning. Uh, you can get a luxury suite, actually. So if you're interested, Sam, you can get a luxury suite, and it does fit 24 people to watch the Super Bowl. How much will that cost me? Uh, well, $907,000, which uh. sounds expensive. But if you break it down, it's only 37791 per person. Well, we could make that work. <laughs> can we have a chat to Hutchie? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> work out whether he really wants us there or not. I'm not sure. Hey, the average price is about 8900 So I'm not that far off. $8,755 actually to be Matilda precise. Reynolds from the Tour of Gippsland up next yeah you'll find us every Saturday morning between 9 and 11 and normally we're at actually Harvey Norman at Wonthaggy uh, but we thought we'd give the boys a break because uh, they've been pretty busy down there but that doesn't mean you don't continue to support them and in fact I'm a big one Sam for always supporting those businesses that support the sport that you follow Yep. Because it all goes around in the circle. They support you, you support them. Guess what? Next year they do it again. It's pretty simple maths, isn't it, really? Definitely. And we don't appear to be supporting them today because we're not physically there. But emotionally, we're still connected to Harvey Norman at Wonthaggy. We're actually in McBride Street outside McBride, the centre of McBride the Avenue. McBride Avenue, is McBride it? Avenue, and you live yep. just around the corner from here. I do, I do. My old high school's just up the road and as well. And I'm sure it's a coincidence that you walked here this morning and I had to drive an hour 15 to see you. How, well, does, how does that actually work on a weekly basis? We, you sort of get out of bed, rub the sleep out of your eyes, walk 150 metres. I have to drive 115 k's. I don't understand. Well, there won't be there won't be a permanent <laughs> permanent uh, setup here, but I've got to set up the I've got to set up the OB line, the, yes. the posters behind us that I can never do a good job of because they always fall off the window. Yeah. Well, 115 k sounds like a long way, but if you're a cyclist, it's sort of just another day. And we're going to be talking about the Mitchelton Tour where they clock up some kilometres, don't they, in they that do. particular sport. If you've tuned in, you missed out on a great chat, I thought, with Lee Brown, one of uh, Gippsland's greats when it comes to AFL football. Played over 50 games at Fremantle, over 100 games at the Kangaroos, over 50 games and a premiership with Collingwood. And what a great chat he was. It was a great chat, yeah. yeah. And uh, Tommy Hutton after him was also... Yeah, terrific. Just before the break, Tom Hutton, who played with Yalor North and Morwell, now in Oklahoma State, playing NFL in front of crowds of up to 100,000 people, if you don't mind. I'm not sure how many people will come out to watch the Mitchelton Tour, but what I love about cycling and what was so successful about uh, the the South Australian Tour, uh, the Tour Down Under, was the fact that not only did it attract some of the best riders preparing for their season proper, the European riders, it was a chance to showcase the state of South Australia to the European people who love to follow the cycling. And in a lot of ways, this local tour around this area is a chance to showcase the beautiful area of... Gippsland. Gippsland, which which is a good thing. Predominantly South Gippsland this year with uh, Woolamite being first up tomorrow. Yep, and uh, is Matilda Reynolds yes. ready to go? She Fantastic. is. Fantastic. Well, I can introduce her right now. Hi, Matilda. How are you going? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. No, absolute pleasure. Were you over in South Australia in the last fortnight or so, by chance? Y- yes, I was. No, I was very fortunate to be over there. And, um, yeah, as they call it, a, a festival of cycling. And it, it was really bad. It really lived up to the name and... Um, 
yeah, it was a great few days. Um, the weather was, was a little on and off, but as you say, just beautiful areas, scenic. And the best thing, as you're referring to there, was that it had live coverage, uh, which is fairly rare in cycling, but um, incredibly important um, for the growth of the sport. Yeah, and it was one of those things that sort of took a little while to get traction in South Australia, but now the audience that it gets on TV, the support that he gets from locals and actually interstaters that make the trip, and they can get involved themselves and cycle some of the routes that the professionals cycle uh, as well, which sort of just builds the connection. Yeah, I think um, it has, it, it's not that it's lost interest, but it probably doesn't have the same level that it has in previous years because it previously has had World Tour teams there. Um, yes. But the organisers there have done incredibly well to keep that level high, um, have equal prize money, equal coverage, um, and they really put on an event which is world class. Um, and so, yeah, I think they'll be very much welcoming those World Tour uh, riders next year. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it a great event, which, um, yeah. yeah, hopefully we can roll on to Gippsland tomorrow. Yeah, well, that's, uh, take us through Gippsland tomorrow because uh, this is an important uh, event for the area. Take us through what... Uh, you are going to be involved in over the next few days and what people can get involved in over the next few days? Yeah, so it's, um, there's going to be two stage of, uh, two road stage events and then a criterium on uh, the Tuesday. Um, but it's actually going to be a really tough course. Previously, um, the iterations that I've done of Gippsland, there has been criteriums or Kamit-style racing where this year they've really gone back to the uh, some pretty tough roads um, parkours and yeah the first one on, on tomorrow on Willamai is going to be um, really tough uh, a lot of climbing and expecting some um, and, and I think with the weather as well it's looking to be 30, 36 degrees out yeah. there and, and the women will be racing in the afternoon and, and I know it can get pretty windy there on the coast so it should, um, there should be, uh, the elements should pay, play a role into making the racing fairly exciting and you're riding with the uh in uh, powerful team, informed TMX makers, is, is that right? Yes, yeah, that's yeah. right. It's a brand new, it, it's yeah, well-known men's team, but a brand new uh, women's women's team for this year that they've brought on. Yeah. Okay, and so the team will be uh, have have pretty high hopes for the tour of Gippsland, will they? Yeah, I think. Um, look, we will be will be keen to have a strong showing there and and be about in in, in all the moves and and certainly represented there at the finish. So, um, yeah, we're, we're fairly confident, which I think you need to be going in. But we do have a lot of um, strong riders uh, joining that will be representing the team uh, with Carly and Taylor and uh, Amber Pate, Chelsea Holmes, and then, yeah, we're also adding in uh, Elizabeth Newton as well. So, yeah, it should be a really strong team. And I know some other riders are coming off strong uh, nationals and two down under form. So... It should uh, make for some, yeah, great racing. Yeah. Well, take us... We talk about criterion and we talk about, you know, road racing. Take us through both. What, what's involved? I mean, we see cyclists cycling, uh, but there's a, there's a lot of strategy that takes place that people might not be able to pick up. So what's involved in, you know, in, in tomorrow's race, for instance? Yeah, I think um, the biggest element that people possibly don't pick up on is that um, cycling, though from the sideline may be seen as an individual sport. It is very much a team sport um, and a lot of team tactics play into that. And a lot of it is, um, you know, uh, if you have a teammate that's gone off the front, you 
will try to give them the best opportunity to stay away and whether that means interrupting other riders who might be trying to chase them down uh, or it might also be trying to protect that rider out of the wind um, so they have the best opportunity to sprint at the end. Um, but there is a lot of sacrifices that riders make um, for their teammates to have the best opportunity. And I think that's the biggest difference that um, once you start to see that and you look for that in racing, that, uh, yeah, it is a very strong team sport. And, and that goes across across the board pretty much unless it's an individual time trial. And, uh, and, and same in the criterion, you're trying to help your teammates if there's a break and your team isn't in it, you're, you're chasing that down and, and then vice versa. So, um, yeah, the, the two road stages will throw up a few different scenarios and I think that's what's exciting about cycling is it's so hard to know what's going to happen. You can go in with the best laid plan, uh, but it's, at the end of the day, it's completely out of your control and you just need to play what's in front of you. Yeah. Now, Matilda, we had... Uh... Brenton Jones on the show last week, who's also on uh, Informed TMX Make, and he was pretty happy to say that that he was handy at tennis and soccer as a youngster. What what other sports <laughs> did, did you try your hand at, and, and how how successful were you before moving into cycling? Yeah, I actually played a state level uh, hockey, um, and so yeah, I think that set me up. Um, yes, yeah, set up my biomechanics pretty strongly to. Uh, fairly strong and, um, you know, good bone density and things like that. Um, it was a very dynamic and, and tough sport. Uh, and then before cycling, I was actually um, at an elite level in triathlon. So I think um, it enables me to cope with the training pretty well. Uh, there's nothing like having to train for three sports. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm just training for one now uh, and, and enjoying it. But I do really miss that really team mentality and so that's what we're really trying to build out of Informed TMX Make and yeah, I, I just love these tours when you get to go away with your team and sort of be in that in that team bubble and um, very fortunate to have the racing back on the cards after a very interrupted two years. Yeah. Hey, take us through, what, what, what does a, a normal week look like uh, as far as kilometres covered for, for, for someone like yourself? Yeah, it's a pretty common question, but it's, um, like, to put it plainly, it's probably around 500 kilometres, um, give or take, uh, each week. Uh, and that can be a range of uh, a lot of fast, flat riding um, along the bay here in, in Melbourne, uh, or it can be um, a, a little bit more elevation in the Dandenongs or um, out to King Lake. And so we are very fortunate um, for the various options that we have here in Melbourne and, and, and wider Victoria. And... Yeah, there's just a lot of great riders. There's some incredible bunch rides that, that give you a lot of speed. And, and so, yeah, it's just the balance of that each week. And everyone's always pretty excited during summer. So, um, yeah, it's not too hard to find a good group who are, uh, are, are training the house down that you can jump in with at the moment. Now, Matilda, you're, you're the, before we let you go, you're the reigning Melbourne to Warrnambool winner. That, <laughs> that's on next week, I believe. And... How, how much are you looking forward to competing in that and defending your title? Yeah. Oh, yeah, thanks for asking. Um, I uh, am, I guess, yeah, just excited about that event. I think I, at, at the very beginning, I was a bit, um, a part of me was slightly sad that we weren't racing with the men just because I have previously enjoyed that, um, that experience. But I think for the women's um, cycling to grow in that, in that event and, and make it more inclusive and, and um, increase the breadth of women riding that event. I am excited, really looking forward to the women's iteration. 
and yeah, it's, the weather's looking good at this stage. Um, I think everyone's going to be hungry to get their name uh, as on the on that trophy for the inaugural event, and uh, it plays a special part in my in my heart that event. So I'll certainly be going for going for the win, and yeah, I won't be afraid to sort of put it out there and. Just, I think more importantly, though, I just really hope we put on a good show and, um, yeah, just really show that, that um, 160K is, can be entertaining and, and that the women uh, have the breadth and, and talent to uh, really, yeah, uh, make it entertaining. Yeah, no, we're looking forward to it. Certainly entertaining, Matilda. Thanks for your time, Matilda <laughs> Reynolds. Uh, and good luck over the next few days and Thanks good luck so next week guys. also. Well done, Thank Matilda you. Reynolds there talking cycling and... Uh, She's got a busy few days ahead of her. She does. You know, there's one thing that I reckon we should look at is cyclists' apparel. I've got no problem with professional cyclists wearing lycra. I've got huge problems with the normal man in the street wearing lycra who can't ride more than 20 or 30 k's. And after that 20 or 30 k's, normally sits down for a coffee and a cake. And there are all sorts of bumps and lumps in places that I don't wish to see. Is it just me? Yeah. Um, uh, I, uh, Why can't they just wear a baggy pair of tracksuit pants and a T-shirt? They've got to be fast. They've got to be fast. It's, uh, every little advantage helps, even when you're that old. Might take a break. <laughs> Come back to talk Bo Vernon. What do you reckon? Sounds good to me. Uh, Bo Vernon will be joining us shortly. We're going to chat to Bo about Justin Langer, just that sort of period we've all experienced over the last week where Pat Cummins has finally come out and had his say. And also Simon Goodwin, who's obviously confronted a few hurdles himself. And Ben Simmons, well, he finally commits and plays alongside another Aussie. He does. In Paddy Mills. Bo Vernon's going to have his thoughts with us and you after this break. Yeah, Rob Popplestone, Sam Watson, Poppy and Swatter talking sport as we do every Saturday morning between 9 and 11 as a Harley just shoots past and it's a busy little street here, McBride Avenue. Where are we? We're opposite uh, a nice little sushi place, you thought? Yuki's, yeah. Yeah, not bad, right outside the Sentinel Times. Is there anyone in Wonthaggy you don't know? Yeah, there's a few. There's a few. That's, um, I, when I was younger, it used to, felt like, used to feel like I'd walk down the street and you'd say, say g'day to almost everyone that you yep. know. But as the town's grown, and as I'm sure many can see by the big new hospital getting built here, okay, uh, there's quite a few that I don't know. Well, we're right next to an ATM, and I don't reckon one person has come to that ATM without saying, Hey, Sammy, how you going? Hey, Watto, how you going? More people would know our, our next guest, I reckon. <laughs> I don't know, it's line ball. I mean, he's very popular, but... Tell you what, that's a big step. <laughs> Bo Vernon, who joins us quite regularly, he's on the line right now. Hey, Bo, how are you going? Yeah, good, Rob. Hey, Sam, how are you, lads? <laughs> good, thank you, mate. Sounds like you're enjoying Little Ass this morning again. Yeah, I'm at the finish line of 800. A few crew coming through right now, and crowd's, got, crowd's going wild. <laughs> 800 metres, two laps of the oval. I tell you what, the kids the kids normally, don't they, Bo? They, uh, they don't probably understand that they don't need to sprint the first 150 metres because the next 650 <laughs> makes it uh, makes it pretty tough. Is, is that what normally happens, isn't it? Uh, I'm a bit new to the old little athletics um, for the kids at the moment, but I was seeing the opposite. I was seeing them sprint the last little bit and take it easy at the yeah, start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we've had a bit of a every every week seems to be a big week in sport uh, since last week and the uh, the Justin Langer saga took a few twists and turns. But Pat Cummins 
come out, and he presented himself pretty well, I thought. I know he's got mixed feedback, but I'm not sure that he could have done much more than what he did. I was pretty impressed with his um, interview that he that he had, yeah, because obviously from the outside looking in, you, what's going on? Like The players seem happy, they've got good culture, they're playing good cricket, and you, what's going on? But, yeah, the way he presented himself was... It's pretty amazing, I, I thought, and um, you know, he, there's obviously been discussions there with Langer, and I would think if they weren't on the same page as the players, that yeah, you know, there'd be a rift between the group. But he reckons they're pretty, pretty united the group, and so there must be something there that they they weren't too happy with. No, exactly, and I, I think you know from the outside looking in Bo I, I agree with you I, I think probably Justin Langer played his part at just the right time they needed someone quite strict quite regimental uh, because it came just after the Sandpaper Gate episode and I reckon he, mm. he's done what he needed to do he's got the boys back in line but now that they are where they are they they feel as though based on what Pat Cummins said that they're ready to take to, to, to ready to be led by someone a little bit different yeah yeah, yeah, it, it definitely has done it. Justin Lang has done an amazing, amazing job and, and whatnot. And, um, yeah, but, yeah, I don't know, I just thought you looked at it, come and said about, you know, there's been discussions there. So a kid just coming up yelling That's next right. to me. fantastic. <laughs> um, it's not my kid, so it's all right. Uh, but, yeah, the, he said that it's, discussions for two years about making changes to certain things and maybe that hadn't, hadn't happened so uh, he said Justin Langer shouldn't have seen it as a surprise because they've had discussions around it and I don't know, I, I'm not sure whether it's around, you know, maybe just too demanding and, you know, the players need to have a, I know they're professional athletes but they need to have a life as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, throughout the week though, there was obviously some pretty interesting news about Simon Goodwin and uh, we, we, we don't know the, the full story there, but what was your take on it and how, how, have you, how do you kind of look at the situation? It's so hard, these stories, are they, when not a, you don't know the, the full, full story, but um, I don't know. I, I'm not big on, um, like, I think a lot of people struggle with the gambling side of things and all that, but I think having a few beers and... And whatnot with the players um, isn't isn't too bad a thing, and um, I I think um, like if you look at the outcome after it, I think Melbourne Footy Club have performed well. They seem to be enjoying enjoying life, and over the last twelve months, I seem like feel like they've grown as as people. So Simon Goodwin, I reckon, had a big influence on, on that. And, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I know it's a different level, Bo, but how do, you, how do you, or what, what does the relationship between you and your players look like and looked like, both at Lee and Gather and now at Phillip Island? Uh, you obviously would be closer because it's a social, more social atmosphere, but it's important too to keep distance at certain times, I assume. Um... I don't necessarily think so. Like, I, I don't think you need to and, and whatnot. I, I think, um, 
yeah, the days of, you know, you're the your coach and I think it's about it's about relationships and um, I don't think the coach is superior to, to the players no. and I think it's a, they're just a facilitator. Um, yeah, obviously, in personal life and different things, like you don't need to mix mix everything, but I don't, I don't, I don't see anything wrong, wrong with what is... Yeah, you know, workplace bullying and stuff like that. Obviously, you don't know the ins and outs no. of that. So, you know, that's that's hard to, to discuss. You know, the gambling, is he encouraging um, people to gamble? You know, I, I don't know these things, but, you know, uh, society is that people have, have a beer and, and, and some people have a bit of a punt. Do I um, think, you know, I don't think gambling is a good thing, um, and you know I've been known to have a few too many drinks at times. But um, you know, uh, yeah, I don't see it as a bad thing what Simon Goodwin's done um, or what's been said so far. So you don't know the extent of it, though. Yeah, uh, and you, you don't you don't think that uh, Goody's actions are. Uh, a bad thing, but what about Ben Simmons's mate? How do you look back on uh, his last few months with the Sixers, and and obviously now he's going to be playing alongside Paddy Mills at the Nets. What do you what do you think that situation looks like, and, and how do you view it from your point? Uh, I'm pretty excited to see Ben Simmons playing again, and especially thinking alongside um, Paddy Mills might might do him the world of good. I I look at it. He's um, how the egos in the NBA. Um, Embiid from the Sixers. Um, I don't know. Last year, Sixers lost a what a final series, and Embiid comes out and just pot shots his teammate. Um, yeah, even during the season, he was taking pot shots at him and just not taking shots. And I would think shots is a confidence thing. So if you feel good. You know, you're going to be making more shots and, and doing better, and your teammates are making him feel worse. So, I, um, I've felt for him. Do I think his actions have been right in terms of sitting out this season? I'm, yeah, I'm probably not. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing him, seeing him at the Nets, and I think alongside Kevin Durant and um, you know Patty Mills and Kyrie Irving. It will suit him, suit him well where he might not need to make, take as many shots. It, it, it's just good to see him back on court, I think. I think that's... I, I mean, he's put himself in a predicament now, though, where he needs to perform. And whether you agree or disagree with him standing down, again, we don't know the, 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 the whole story and the media's never quite as transparent possibly as they should be. But end of the day, he performs, it'll all be forgotten and who knows what lies ahead. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Definitely. And uh, I, I know you're still young, Bo, compared to the 76ers coach, Doc Rivers, but a part of the Ben Simmons trade was Seth Curry. Obviously, Steph Curry, the yeah. uh, two-time NBA MVP, three-point shooting uh, legend, greatest three-point shooter of all time. His, his brother, Seth, was a part of the trade uh, with Ben, and he'll be off to Brooklyn as well. Seth is Doc Rivers' son-in-law. As a coach, Bo, could you ever see yourself trading away your son-in-law? Do you think that'd be a bit awkward at the uh, Christmas dinner table? <laughs> well, that would be a bit awkward, wouldn't it? I, I didn't actually realise that he was his son-in-law. 
that's amazing. Uh, well, I, uh, me mate, uh, Mark Coglin, uh, was in my bridal party at my wedding and at Lane Gather. I was in my first year's coach. I'm having to leave him out of the ones and he thought he was the one player. And, uh, yeah, that <laughs> probably didn't go too well for a while there. Yeah. Oh, well, you've got to make the tough decisions, Bo. <laughs> got to make the tough decisions. <laughs> no, he, he, he got a bit of it. Nah, yeah, he's, he wasn't up to it. I was pretty confident on that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're an absolute, absolute champion, Bo. We enjoy having a chat with you every single week about the sporting issues of the week, and you always throw in a curly one just to finish. So, mate, all the best, and hopefully we're chatting again next week. All right. Cheers, lads. Have a good one. Good on you. Thanks, Bo, Bo Vernon there. Uh, his thoughts on Justin Langer, Simon Goulden, Ben Simmons. And, of course, uh, tough decisions you've got to make at a footy club, mm. which you do every so often. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, when you sign up to be a coach, you're going to have to turn a few noses out of joint and a lot of the time they're going to be your mates yeah oh, that's that's i mean there's going to be a time when you say to me poppy you're not required this mm. saturday i say what we're getting damo watson back on board <laughs> actually i'm doing the show with him tonight you are uh, between Looking six and ten yeah yeah oh. I, I couldn't think of doing anything better I'll be tuning in on then my way four up hours of, Then four hours of uh, radio on a Saturday night. What what uh, meetings are we looking at tonight? I'm going to do my study this afternoon. Okay, so not sure yet. Not sure just yet. Okay. I'll sort of sponsor. I'll sort of concentrate on the Greyhounds because I've got a big day at the Sale Greyhound Club tomorrow afternoon, uh, where I joined by Jason Bonington and Mitch Abaya. Now Mitch is Mitch is pretty hot. Mm. Jason Bonington last week they won us a few hundred dollars, which we appreciated. But Mitchie's pretty hot. The boys eBay. are actually doing a good job. Oh, they're they're in yeah. ripping form at yeah, the they moment. Are. The, the trackside boys throughout the week they they barely missed. Sammy Holland yesterday a slow start, but he turned it around to have another massive day, and he'll be on air later today with uh, JJ and Tags. And they've got the Blue Diamond preludes today, in which there's another Gippsland boy with the favourite in one of the races, Miss Rosiano, race four, number one, Peter Galagotis. Uh, now, they're very, very confident. Bad, I think you still get $4 on Miss Rosiano, race four, number one, and I reckon he does a good job today. He'll be the reigning favourite for what is a million-dollar-plus race uh, in a fortnight's time. So, hey, there's a lot to get through. And there always is. Saturdays in Gippsland with Rob Popplestone, Sam Watson, Talking Sport. You're either finding us at the moment on 91.3, which is southwest Gippsland, or 91.9 SEN track. But you can also listen live on the SEN app and at sen.com.au. We're normally here at Harvey Norman Wamthaggy. Well, we're not here now. We're outside the Sentinel Times. But keep on supporting the boys at Harvey, Norman, Wonthaggy, who are great supporters of this show. A short break. We're back and we're focusing in on one of the most successful clubs in the Gippsland area. Who is it? We'll let you know after this. Yes, you are listening to Saturdays in Gippsland with Rob Popplestone and Sam Watson. We've had really good chats today so far. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. It's a bit of bit of rain. Not in, sure in if our, our listeners yeah. have enjoyed it, well, but we certainly have. Yeah, I've, in, I've enjoyed it, so that's the, that's the main thing, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I figure that if we're enjoying our chats, the listeners should be enjoying it You'd as well. You'd hope so. And I think our next chat, which will be up after the next break, is it will be with Brett Williams, who's the president and also the probably one of the better bat, batsmen yes. at Halora Cricket Club. 
and we're going to ask him a little bit about oh, as the uh, as the alarm goes off just next door. I love doing it live OBs in the middle of the street at yeah. One Thaggy. Yeah, that's well, well, alarms go off because we're in One Thaggy. There's Harley Davidson, yeah, Yates. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, Brett Williams up next. We'll be talking to him about the Halora Cricket Club and. We're going to go into something pretty interesting about them and their relationship to the AFL. Oh. They have uh, might have been able to produce, well, not them producing, but there might be a bit of a few Halora Cricket Club players currently running around in the AFL and doing some good things. So that'll be up right after this. And we're on the way home now. We're on the run home. Uh, we're finishing off here at 11. Don't forget, too, there's lots of sport taking place after midday today, especially when the boys start to hone in on what's happening at Caulfield. Some Blue Diamond prelude events, which, as we said prior, feature Peter Gallagotas from Gippsland with a favourite race for number one, Miss Rosiano. We're actually having a bit of a chat during the break, as we always do, uh, Sam and I, just about life and other things. And he said, um, do you know where her law is? I said, actually, I, I don't know where her law is. So he, he said, I wonder how many people, did Sam say to me, live in Halora? And I said, well, we spoke with Tom Hutton and he said, there's 125 people in the team at Oklahoma State. And I reckon there's more people on his team that live than live in Halora. You then did a Google search. I did. And what did you come up with? Uh, the, the population of Halora is 126. <laughs> so I was wrong. <laughs> You're out by one. <laughs> <laughs> so we might not know where it is. We do know the population oh. is 126, but we yeah. also know there are home to a very successful to, cricket team. To, to the people who, who want to know where it is, it probably... Safe by saying in between Druin and Currumburra. Okay, well that's okay. Yeah, inland quite a bit, just not not too far from uh, Poowong and Allenbank, and yeah, Druin South Ladner. Okay, I reckon the population would be starting to increase in that particular area at the moment. I mean, the growth around a lot of those areas might find its way to Alora, and before you know it, they'll be up to the two hundreds. Well, they're uh, if if they can get growth, their cricket club will only get stronger. And they've been able to perform pretty well with a population of only just over 100. Yeah, all of a sudden, you know, the president, who is also one of the batsmen, might find himself playing in the seconds. <laughs> Maybe. As more and more people come to the club. But he probably wouldn't mind. He might not. He might not. Brett Williams, who is the president of the Allura Cricket Club, is on the line now. Hey, Brett, how are you going? Yeah, hey, fellas. How are you doing? Good, mate. We're taking the P155 out of here, but we're doing it all in fun because <laughs> the reality is you've got a bloody good cricket side and we're wondering how, with a population of 125, you managed to uh, produce the goods year in, year out. Yeah, look, it's um, uh, it's an impressive thing that we're able to do. Um, there's certainly more cows out here than people, that's for sure. So, <laughs> more cows. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we just we just always harp on building culture and that's what attracts people to our career club. So... Uh, and have good facilities, and, and you can't really go wrong. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of our method anyway. And obviously you can't get multiple cricket sides from, from just Halora, mate. So where, where do you pull a, a lot of your players from? Um, so surrounding areas. So Drew and Warrigal have, you know, doubled and tripled in size in the last sort of 10 years. So we're lucky that we can, um, you know, attract people out. We... We made the decision to put a turf wicket in about 12 years ago and that certainly attracted more people wanting to play some better cricket or um, more more frequent cricket, uh, cricket on, on turf. So, yeah, that, that was a drawing card. But, yeah, just the local area you know, around that Boolong and Drawing and 
um, Warriors this sort of area is, is our main sort of spots where players come from. So uh, as far as the decision to put a turf wicket in, it was a successful one, but it also means a hell of a lot more work. Who, who does that work? It's not uh, the credit as well, is it? <laughs> uh, I'm lucky that I, when I was a little bit younger, I, I probably helped out more. Obviously, um, the, the older I'm getting, I'm more tied to my work a little bit lately. But there's a guy uh, in particular named Simon Phillips who, he was the instigator, um, you know, those years ago. And, and he was very passionate about trying to get that infrastructure at our club. And, and he's done a, an enormous amount of work, his family and, and sort of the Duncan family and uh, my siblings as well did a fair bit of work on it as well. So, um, yeah, there's, there's people that, and, and, you know, it keeps evolving. There's new people that jump on board and, and help out where they can. So um, it definitely takes a lot of work, but we've had yeah, one key, key fella in the in the pipeline and he's, um, yeah, he's done an enormous effort for us. I, I, um, I know that uh, most sporting clubs have found it hard to keep people motivated, but I think, you know, when you listen to your story, and, and a lot of sporting clubs, Brett, are in the same situation, you know, these, these sporting clubs bring together communities, they bring together great mates, and they form great relationships that last lifetimes, and it would be a shame if, uh, you know, the last two years of pandemic would uh, would make that fragile in any way, because, you know, you look back, I'm, I'm probably older again, but you look back at your time with your local footy club or cricket club or tennis club and soccer club, and you think, geez, they were bloody good days, they were good fun, and that uh, they are really an important part of who you become. Yeah, of course, and, you know, I took over, um, I'm into my third year now, so I took over a couple of years ago as president, and that was uh, pre-pandemic, so, you know, we enjoyed a really, and, and off-field, we, we really do enjoy, you know, hosting social functions and, you know, doing a trivia night or doing, uh, you know, a dress-up thing or, or something like that, and that sort of really is how we built our club, you know, from the ground up is through that social interaction, and no doubt the last couple of years have really uh, put soul on that, but. We're strong and, and, you know, we're sticking together and, and the people, um, you know, we get enough out of playing cricket or, you know, maybe a quiet beer after the game or something. We don't have to have the, you know, 50 to 100 people sort of social gatherings we can um, get by. But, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly taking its toll and, and hopefully uh, it opens up a bit in the future so we can get back to those days because, yeah, they were, they were fun. And just, we obviously focusing in on, on you guys because you've been able to achieve some incredible things in recent times. How many... Premierships have you played in Breton? How how many can you give us a snapshot of what the club's been able to achieve in terms of premierships in in recent times? So around yeah, in the last sort of twenty odd years, we've we've won four first grade ones in particular, um, and you know some other ones in twenty twenty and and one day cricket through other grades. But um, in particular, in the ones, uh, I've been lucky enough to play in two of those um, in yeah sixteen seventeen and, and then last year. Um, I suppose that. We're only a young club in terms of top-grade cricket. Like it was only in the mid-90s that we started really building that sort of strength in our cricket, and you know some big family names, McMahon's and Phillips's and and the likes of that um, sort of paved the way. And so we're able to get one in the in the later 90s, and then they got a second one in that for, for that sort of group in in 2005, six. So it was a bit between. We lost a couple in between. Yeah, 05 and 06, and, and my first one in in 2016-17, but. Um, yeah, it's uh, you certainly enjoy the, the good ones, uh, and we've definitely had our our heartbreaks. Um, I think I've lost three, possibly uh, might might be four in that time. So yeah, it definitely um, it brings you back down to earth when you lose them. But uh, it's uh, there's no better feeling winning them, and especially 
you know, a club like ours, it's only a small club, it's uh, it's even better for the community. So, yeah. And and how are your premiership chances this year in the first division? And uh, and who are you taking on today as well? Uh, it's uh, the season shaped up pretty well so far. We've we've had some good success, um, and that's only sort of half the job as, as I'm sure you've heard that sort of cliche you can do whatever you want as long as you make the finals you know you, it doesn't matter how many games you win as long as you get there the finals are a different different uh, ball game so we'll, we'll hopefully yeah have a really successful final campaign and and that's um and that goes down to our seconds and our and our third grade our third team as well they're you know vying for slots as well so be nice to get three teams in um today we play against Western Park at home um Western Park are a team that we've had certainly in my sort of Division One experience. Always seem to go head to head pretty uh, competitively with them. Um, so I'm sure today will be no different. And um, yeah, it should be a good game. Which I've just been told we've we've jumped on board the frog, uh, the frog box um, uh, bandwagon. So that should be live streamed today for anyone that wants to check it out. Oh, fantastic, mate. Look forward to watching that as well. So, hey, listen, good luck. Good luck for the rest of the season. And, uh, mate, I uh, hope you personally make just, quite, a, quite just, a few runs. Just one thing before we let you go, Brett. I've forgotten to ask, sorry. Uh, we did speak about the Halora Footy Factory. Can you, can you name us a few of the AFL players that have played their junior cricket at Halora? Yeah, well, in recent years, definitely, uh, we do like calling it a little bit of a footy factory. Um, so... The two Jais, so Jai Sarong and, and John Newcomb um, more recently and before that, Caleb Sarong. So, you know, I won a premiership with Caleb in, um, yeah, 16, 17. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, that was about his last time he played cricket because he went through the, the Gippsland Power Program and he was off to AFL. So, yeah, we've got three very talented young kids in there and, and we've had many other people that have sort of popped in and um, and played, at a, you know, played VFL or, or something like that, similar standards. So... Yeah, we um, unfortunately for the cricket, we seem to make good footballers, so they leave us. Um, <laughs> it leaves us a little bit high and dry, but no, we're pretty uh, supportive and very um, excited to see those boys uh, in, in the sort of last few years get their chance. And yeah, we like watching them in the AFL. So can't complain. No, exactly right. Good on you, Brett. Brett Williams. Uh, thanks for your time this morning. Uh, thank you, fellas. Cheers for having me on. No worries at all. Brett Williams there, Halora Cricket Club president. If you're an aspiring AFL player, here's a bit of advice. Make your way to Halora. Breathe in that country air surrounded by cows. And the odds are that you'll make an AFL list. You're a good chance. Yeah, there you go. There's a little bit of advice from Poppy. A bit more advice after this break. You're listening to Saturdays in Gippsland. Rob Popplestone and Sam Watson. Yeah, you are, and we're uh, doing it live outside the South Gippsland Central Times, and we do that each Saturday morning. Well, not necessarily right here, but we do talk sport every Saturday morning between 9 and 11. Uh, it's Poppy and Swatter talking sport with those that have made it big times and those who haven't made it such in such big arenas, but they certainly have an impact They're important on their parts local. of Gippsland. Yeah, they are, in, are indeed, and we're absolutely loving it. What do you reckon is going to be making sport in the next seven days? What are you thinking? I'm thinking... Uh, a bit more gonna, footy news is starting to come out, I reckon. I reckon, yeah. As we get closer, more footy news. Obviously, the uh, Super Bowl on Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might be talking more cricket and coaching over the next Potentially. seven days. Do you reckon they'll have an answer as to who the new... Uh, uh, I'm not sure if they'll have an answer, but I think Andrew McDonald will be the next coach. Who's the interim coach. Is that right? You reckon he'll be named... I think it's so. It's usually sort of an indication, isn't it? Mm. 
I think I think the players are pretty keen on him to do it. Um, so we'll, I'm sure we'll find out soon. You know, it's, it's an interesting situation, this Australian coach, because over the years, there's always been controversy around the coach. There hasn't been too many times where they just say, you know what, he coached, he went on, he moved on, it was fine. Mm. Now, whether it's Bobby Simpson or... or, or who, was a, who was a tall guy with glasses that was there for a period of time in Shane Warnstein? I'm not sure. I can't remember his name Mickey now. Mickey Arthur had a bit of a interesting exit as well. Yeah, there's, but there's Paul been... Lehman, obviously. Exactly. You know, the, if, you, if you go... I reckon there's been more controversial Australian coaches than not mm. over the journey. Yep. I might yeah. do my research, well, which I should have done before I brought it up right then. Yeah, I wish I was onto it quicker, so, <laughs> Rob. Hey, that's it for another weekend of Saturdays in Gippsland. We'll be back next Saturday morning. Sam, I'll catch you. Enjoy the weekend. You too, Rob. Cheers.